The mailbag questions have piled up, so we're going to empty the inbox today. That's right. It's an all-mailbag, all-the-time episode of Open Line. We've got the questions you've sent us about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life, and we're getting ready to address them, so hang tight. We're going to get into those in just a moment. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Open Line with Michael Rydelnik, Moody Radio's Bible study across America. My name is Michael Rydelnik. I'm professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute, also the academic dean here. I'm here today and every Saturday to do my best to answer your questions about the scriptures. Normally, the bulk of this program is your phone calls and your questions. It's still your questions, but no phone calls today. Today, it's all mailbag all the time. The best way to be in touch with us is via our website, openlineradio.org. That's openlineradio.org. That page has links to anything you might need, whether it's email or Facebook, whatever you're looking for, it's right there. There's even something really significant. It says, ask Michael a question. You click on that, fill out the form, and you can post a question for future mailbags. Uh, Joining me today in person is the person I turn to when I have a question about the scriptures. She's my favorite Bible teacher, my favorite Bible student, my favorite colleague on the faculty of MBI, a contributor to the Moody Bible Commentary, and she is also happens. She also happens to be my wife, Eva Rydelnik. Hey, Eva, so glad we're studying together hey, today. Hey, Michael, so fun to be here. Yeah, I'm yeah, glad you're here. it's great. Uh, also joining us is the producer of Open Line, the person who makes everything happen, and the one who put together the mailbag for today, Trisha McMillan. Hey, Trisha. Hello. Wow, here we are. This is the uh, famous threesome. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are, three of us together studying the Bible together. I I think that's just so much fun. Yeah, it's great always way fun. to start. The, great way to start the day. Just yeah. a little Bible study. Together. And it's also fun. You know, I was out a little bit, and so uh, a, a number of things have come up. Questions have happened. People sent them in. We might as well deal with it and try and you know get the spindle reduced a little bit or. Uh, empty the inbox a little bit, don't you think? Absolutely. There's so, so many, so many questions. Trisha, how do you keep up with all these? <laughs> Not as well as I, I should. <laughs> or as well as I wish I, should, wow. Wish I would. Wow. Well, you know, these are fun, and they're really, some of them are very unique questions we've never seen before. Yeah, I was so, excited to see some of these. Yeah. And they're questions that I read them, and I said, that's a great question. Yeah, that's great. That is, that I don't know. <laughs> I can't wait to find out the answer. Well, good. I'm so glad. Let's well, let's get started. All right. Okay. Our We're going to go right to questions. Our first question is from David in Idaho. He listens to KMBI and says, I know that repentance is very important, but if we return to our sinful behavior just once and even briefly, in spite of our efforts, that doesn't seem like genuine repentance. Can you please address this? Because there are some sinful habits that are hard to break. Uh seems to me that it's not just habit, that uh, we've seen the enemy, and the enemy is us, mm. uh, that there's something called the flesh. Mm-hmm. And that's why we keep going back to sinful patterns. And that's how the sinful patterns start. I don't think we can measure repentance by whether or not we go back to sin. Uh, now, I've watched Eva with our kids when they were babies, I bet you were like this too, Trisha. What do you do uh, when your baby messes up? You know, you change that diaper. But what happens if they mess the diaper again? You change it again. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you just keep changing it until they're potty yeah. trained. Yeah. Even then. <laughs> you know, then there's, there's something else. Well, yeah. There's a few mess ups potentially there too while they learn. Well, that's what, what strikes me in, in scripture. Is there yeah, a scripture uh, that it, you it, point to people? Well, it seems like um, that we need to remember that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is not this is not a salvation verse so much as it is a daily life verse. That it's every, a fellowship verse. It's a fellowship verse, right. And there's a difference I think that we need to be aware, to be keep in mind between our salvation, which is permanent and unchangeable, and our fellowship with God, which is prone to to change depending on our behavior, not because he changes, but because we change. Yeah, so confession, the verse that you cited, yeah, 1 John uh, 1, 1.9. 9. Uh, the Greek word there for confess is homo legeo, and what that means is to say the same thing. Yep. It means to agree, and if we agree with God about our sin, he will cleanse us so that we can restore fellowship with him. Uh, that's sort of like the spiritual diaper change that we need. However, when we sin again, it's not like we sin with a high hand demanding God's grace as Romans 6 says we should not do. However, God knows we're but dust. He realizes how frail we are. He paid an infinite price to redeem us, the blood of the Messiah Jesus, and he will cleanse us from all sin and restore fellowship with us. That's the thing that we need to remember. I think when we see the word repentance, by the way, so often repentance is really something that has to do with coming to know Jesus. And uh, the Bible calls us to have faith in him and to repent from our old path, to change our mind. That's the word for repentance in in uh, the book of Acts. And usually in the context there, there are two sides of one coin. We change our mind about Jesus, that's repentance, and turn and put our trust in him. We stop trusting what we used to trust and we've changed our mind about Jesus and now we've put our trust in him. And so uh, then to put that into the 1 John 1, 1.9 category of fellowship forgiveness, I think that that's what messes us up. So how do we not get discouraged if you feel like I'm just doing the same sin over and over? I would keep reading verses about how God restores us as far as the east is from the west. Uh, you know, what, what God does is when he forgives us, he forgives us completely and he restores fellowship, he restores fellowship completely. And not that God can actually forget because he knows everything, Mm -hmm. but what he does is that every time we sin, even though we keep remembering that we sinned this way before, it's it's a fresh start with God. It's a new thing. So it's and I think that part of it is is practicing our spiritual disciplines for fellowship. It's like practicing the piano or any instrument or an exercise regime. You may think, well, I just I keep at this and I don't see any change and I'm still making the same mistakes. Well, quitting doesn't make you better. What you need to do is to keep on practicing, keep on exercising, keep on playing, and then you really will get better. And that's keep on repenting of whatever it is that you've is you're struggling yeah. with. And also and, and then move forward toward obedience. I think uh, crucial I think spiritual disciplines are I'm glad you mentioned that reading the Bible, praying, uh, other spiritual disciplines as well. Uh, sometimes choosing not to speak at a certain setting all the Turning time. Turning off Facebook. Yeah. These are disciplines that we might follow. God uses disciplines to grow us 
in those areas, not discipline, but spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices. That We don't read the Bible because we get brownie points with God. We read the Bible because we want to walk closer with him. That's an important discipline. And what will happen, uh, for example, it might be a discipline if there's a particular area of sin. Go find every verse of Scripture about that sin hmm. and memorize them and work on them. And you know what? God's going to enable us through the power of his word to be transformed so that sin becomes less prevalent so that the uh, the turnaround that we wanted is is going to actually come about because God's empowering us through those those spiritual disciplines. Okay. All right. Thank you. I hope that's encouraging if you're out there wondering, you know, thinking I just don't see any change. Um, I hope that's encouraging for you and gives you some practical steps, some things that you can do to continue to grow in your faith in Jesus. Uh, next question. We'll go into like creation stuff. Okay. Um, Jamie wrote on Facebook and says, I'm currently studying Genesis. And as I reread Adam and Eve's story, the question I had was, did God create Eve to be Adam's wife or was she created, um, I guess, just as a helper and then she became Adam's wife or was it a little of both? I'm going to just go right to the text because when it tells the story of the creation of the woman, it says that God brought all the animals uh, before him and uh, Adam, and he named them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which always makes me think of the old Bob Dylan song, God gave names, Adam, man gave name to all the animals, right? Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. But, but the, the reason for it is the Lord God said it, to start that whole process, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper to him as his complement, someone that's fitting for him. That sounds to me like God is saying he needs a spouse, a wife, a okay. full partner. And then there's no one found, no helper was found among the animals as his complement. Uh, I think that may have been to show the man, yeah, it's not enough to get a pet, you know, Right. You actually need uh, an equal, uh, a, a full complement, a full partner. And then uh, he creates the woman as that partner. Uh, and it says, when it says helper, uh, that's one of the things that I think people misunderstand. Don't you think, Eva? Yeah, people get all fuzzed up about this saying, oh, that means, you know, the Bible is anti-woman and it makes women less than men and blah, blah, blah. And they get all mad. Obviously, they're getting all mad because they really haven't read the Bible. Because <laughs> but, the main—I mean, you're, they're camping on one verse here. And, but the and, word helper, I mean— Well, listen, what it's, if you read the scriptures, who is our helper, really? What is the main way that the word helper the is used? The Lord is our help in time the of— The Lord yeah, is our Psalm helper. Yeah, Psalm 46, 1, right? He is our helper, right. Yeah. I mean, the predominant way the word helper is used is in relation to God's relationship to us. Yeah. And so I think for women to be called to be uh, you know, given that role doesn't mean that you're— inferior but it, it means that you're made exactly to need yeah it's the one who comes to our the aid one when, who we, comes to when our we need aid. it most when we need it most that's right. a mm -hmm. that's uh that's what a helper is and so it uh i like it's the idea of a partner in help mm -hmm. uh anyway so i i think it's pretty clear that that's the creation of marriage because then it says at the end of it the the writer i think that's moses who writes here i believe it's moses uh but at the end the narrator jumps in and describes the creation of marriage. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, 
and they become one flesh. Both man and his wife were naked and yet felt no shame. So this clearly is the creation of marriage. That's right here in Genesis 2.24 uh, as the culmination of this story. So the answer is pretty simple. Uh, why did God create Eve? Yes, to be Adam's wife. That was the intention. And it becomes the paradigm, the role model for humanity for the rest of time. All right. Great. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for that question, Jamie. Yep. Uh, we're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to uh, take more of your questions that you've sent in. Trisha did a great job. We've got about 9,000 email questions right here. And... Uh, <laughs> Maybe a few yet less, but a lot of them. So we're going to do our best to get through them. These are your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. I'm Michael Rydelnik. Trisha McMillan's with me. Eva Rydelnik's with me. We're going to be right back with more of your questions in just a moment. The new year is all about getting our priorities right. So Chosen People Ministries wants to help us get our outreach goals in order. That's why they're offering a booklet called To the Jew First in the 21st Century. Written by Dr. Al Mohler, this booklet reaffirms God's love for the Jewish people and shows why believers must continue to present the Messiah Jesus to them. Dr. Mohler says, Jewish evangelism is the clearest test case for faithfulness to the gospel of the Lord Jesus the Messiah in this generation. For your free copy of To the Jew First in the 21st Century, just go to the Open Line website. That's openlineradio.org. Scroll down and you'll see the link that says A Gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that and you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own free copy of To the Jew First in the 21st Century. Welcome back to this special all mailbag, all the time edition of Open Line. No calls today. We're just taking the questions you've sent in with me today. I'm Michael Rydelnik. With me today is Trisha McMillan. She's the producer of Open Line. She's put the mailbag together. Eva Rydelnik is here with me. She's a professor at Moody Bible Institute teaching there and also a contributor to the Moody Bible Commentary and the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy. But most importantly, she's my favorite Bible teacher. Uh, we study the Bible together. Now, how do we do it every day when we read the Bible, Eva? All right, so it's probably not as formal as some people might be picturing. We're sitting around the, the counter in our kitchen drinking coffee, and we're each reading our Bible, whatever we're studying at the time. Like I just finished Second Chronicles, and you're reading whatever. And then as I read and I have some question <laughs> or something, you know— <laughs> What, what, yeah, you're I'm reading, Isaiah. What, whatever you're reading, Isaiah. Else, right? You're reading yeah. something different. Yeah, though, something different. Thing, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Right yeah. And then I'll say, oh, look at this verse, or what do you think about this? Or sometimes I'll say, hey, Bible answer guy, what does this mean? Yeah. So, yeah, that's how we study. But we do it every day. Yeah. Uh, or I, I'll say, oh, look at this. This is kind of interesting. This mm -hmm. verse has never been in the Bible before. Right. <laughs> <laughs> how how long, out of curiosity, how long do you guys sit there and study together? Oh, man. It depends on the day. Depends on the day. Okay. Sometimes. So like busy day. But, yeah. Busy day, about an hour. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And you just work that in in the morning before you it's do first everything? Thing. First yep. thing you do, before you open your mail or check your messages or anything. Okay. Because you know what? Once you open your mail or you check your messages, it just becomes rabbit trails here and there and here and there, and pretty soon you go, oh, look, it's 9 o'clock. Yeah. I haven't gotten anything read. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing that I discovered, like for today, we had early morning meetings, and I had to get up really early mm -hmm. to make that happen. So we were up at about 5 today okay. uh, so that we could— It's like our friend— We our, could have our time. Our, yeah. friend, our yeah. friend Larry says, work it back. 
in order to have to know when you need to get up to yep. read the Bible. Every day, work So you back. think about where you have to leave the house, then work back to what Here's how long time it takes you need to, get to have yeah. to Here's how study. long it takes to make coffee. Yeah, yeah. Now exactly. I need this much time to study, and so that's what time I need to get up. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. So the reason I wanted to talk about that is that that's the question. It's not, it's not on your list of questions, but when I do live audiences mm-hmm. with them asking the questions, I often will take some questions just people will ask personal questions before the program. Right, off the air. Yeah, off the air. <laughs> and that's one of the main questions that I get is when do you and Eva study together? And I think that's kind of interesting that, that people want to know, okay, you keep talking about reading the Bible with Eva in the morning. We want to know about how you do that. Right. So, okay, so there you have it. Oh, well, let's, let's go back to Bible All right. questions. Then. Okay. All right, our next question is from Karina on Facebook. Did God create other people? Or did we all descend from Adam and Eve? I had a friend who said Cain, Abel, and Seth did not marry their siblings to procreate. Well, well, do, does the Bible going say? from what the document says, yeah. which is, I think, our best, our best source the of information. That's, that's <laughs> even. Oh, show me the document. <laughs> show me the document. It said it, there is no mention of creating other people besides Adam and Eve. So I would pretty much go with that idea that those were the people and uh but it but they did have other children and I think some of those other children would have been ultimately the wives of of the sons that are named and it's not the same as it is today in the sense that at that time there was no genetic problems from marrying within the family but later on we see that God forbid that to happen now it's interesting in Romans 5 when uh Paul addresses the issue of our sinfulness. He says it's through one man that sin entered the world. And he seems to indicate that uh, we are all related to Adam. Uh, In Romans 5, uh, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men because all sinned. We all sinned in Adam. Now some people say he was just our representative but it was because he was our father that that we're all descended from him, and that's why we all sinned. Uh, and therefore death reigned from Adam to Moses and so forth. Uh, but he becomes the prototype of the coming one. Uh, our, our, we are, as we're related to the Messiah, we have new life. Uh, but uh, to, nevertheless, uh, what we have here is, I think, the idea that Adam and Eve were the first parents God created them. Now, then that, that leads to the problem of, wait a minute, uh, where did Cain get his wife, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Why was Cain worried that people would kill him wherever he goes? Mm-hmm. Who are those other people? Well, look at, look at um, Genesis 5-4, and then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Yeah. So th- it seems to me that Cain... He was concerned about younger siblings coming after him because we don't know when this happened or other siblings uh, that would have been distressed about what Cain did to his brother Abel. So I think that's that one. Where did Cain find his wife? One of his siblings. Wait, wait, what, what are you saying? That's incest. If, if, if it's one of his siblings, his wife, one of his sisters, uh, I would say that the Bible is pretty clear that incest is wrong. You can see that in the book of Leviticus. Uh, nevertheless, 
I would say when you're the only ones on earth, that's uh, th- there's no other option. And there wasn't the kind of genetic disorders that would make that problematic exactly. because they're so new. And then one other aspect is they need not have been the same exact same age because they if, if Adam lived that long and Eve lived long, then the result would be that they were probably from, you know, uh, different ages and would not have been raised together as as brother and sister. We even see that in really large families in, in our own times. Sometimes incest, families have, not incest, but the age differences. Yeah. If a, there's 14 kids in the family. And the oldest child's forty years old, and the youngest is twenty, and and or and or the youngest is younger than that. Yeah, you know, so they're not even growing up yeah. really in the same time frame. Yeah, yeah. Would there be to the incest question? Would there be that that it was not considered incest until it was made a law in the law, or well, was I, the I law think... more things that were already understood to be wrong that were established, or kind of a mix of both? I don't. I don't know. Okay. Uh, I think that by the time you have people spreading over the earth, it became considered inappropriate, right. wrong, sinful to yeah. marry a sibling. Uh, but on the other hand, when you're the only ones there, you know. Now that's not the case with Noah and his sons because they already had three families, right. and so. But they would be, you know, their children. That uh, Noah's sons' children would have probably been marrying cousins. Right, but, w- but, but what else do you got? But the command that God had given Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and be multiply. Fruitful and multiply. Yeah, yeah. And so that was their command that they were working with. Yeah, they had to do it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and the same command is given to Noah after the flood: be fruitful and multiply. Hmm. Uh, same command. And uh, when you look at the laws in Leviticus. Uh, the in chapter I believe it's chapter nineteen or eighteen. Uh it yeah, chapter eighteen. Uh th- there are all sorts of law laws uh opposed to incest. Um and and I think that that very clearly uh says no, don't do that. Uh and uh, th- that's because I think in the ancient world it was not unusual, mm-hmm. uh, and and the pagan practices of Canaan it was incest was normative. So, very so this very... is another way that they're being set apart. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So if you, and, yeah, it's if you have a minute, sometime to to look at eight at Leviticus eighteen, it really gives a lot of different scenarios of don't yeah. do this with this person and don't do it with that yeah. person and, and with the other person and with her with her. Interestingly, with her. I think there must have even you know. We, Moses collected the laws, but we don't have every single law that Moses received. He gave sampling laws mm. in the Pentateuch, and uh, I think it's interesting that he, uh, there shouldn't be incest with a, a grandparent, but there's nothing said about a father. Does that mean that with a father it's okay? But of course it's not okay. It's wrong, but Moses, he was giving a sampling, and so all incest is forbidden is, is what what the point of those laws are. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. That kind of went afield a little of your question, Karina. But, but I was anticipating the, the follow-up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Next question is from Catherine, also on Facebook. Do you think that Cain was forgiven and that the mark was um, given and, and suffered the consequences of a sin by being sent for the presence of God? 
Well, just the mark of Cain, whether he was forgiven or not, was the mercy of God, wouldn't you say, Eva? Yeah, because because he really can you imagine the outrage of this of the, the Silbungs that they that he killed Abel, who must have been the nicest guy in the family. Mm-hmm. Right, he killed yeah. our favorite brother. He killed our favorite brother. Left with you. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now the strange thing about this is, I don't think the question is was he forgiven. Was the real question we should be asking was he penitent? Hmm. And because if he wasn't, then we know he wasn't forgiven. If he had been penitent, I believe he would have been forgiven. Are but, there clues? There clues? And the clue to me mm-hmm. is th- that he was not penitent. And here's why. When God disciplines him, he says uh, that you are to wander the earth. Okay? that That's what he tells him to do. He's supposed to wander the earth. And in, this is all in Genesis 4, and he says, they want to kill me. So he put the uh, the mark of Cain on him, and he went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And then what did he do? Cain became the builder of a city and named the city Enoch after his son. Uh, and it says that he went eastward, and, and he went to the east of Eden. Why is this important? Because first of all, he built a city. He didn't wander, so he didn't obey the command. And secondly, he went eastward. And every time in the early chapters of Genesis, when someone goes eastward, they're acting in rebellion to God. Like in Genesis 11, they go Mm -hmm. eastward and build the Tower of Babel. So he did not repent, and so therefore he was not forgiven. We'll be back with more of your questions in just a moment. You're listening to Open Line with Michael Radelnik, Eva Radelnik, and Trisha McMillan. We're so glad that FEBC partners with Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik, bringing the FEBC mailbag every week. Learn how Far East Broadcasting Company is taking Christ to the world at febc.org. On their weekly podcast, Until All I've Heard with Ed Cannon, you'll hear stories of lives changed by Messiah all across the globe. Again, you can hear the podcast when you visit febc.org. That's febc.org. Welcome back to this special all-mailbag, all-the-time edition of Open Line. Eva Radelnik is here with me, so is Trish McMillan, and we're going through the questions you've sent in. You know, I love this because this is teamwork. Uh, You know, Trish put the questions together. Part of the team was the people who sent in questions. I love that teamwork. Uh, Trisha... You put, how many yeah. hours does it take for you to put this whole oh, thing? Oh, it I don't know. <laughs> Long time. That's teamwork, though. I appreciate it so much that I don't have to do it. Uh, and uh, then, of course, Eva, she's the one that tells me what the answers are. And so that's teamwork, too. Even when I do mailbag when you're not with me, Eva, I know you're, you've looked at them first and said, this is how you should answer this, this one and this uh, is what you should. Right. But, and, and I'm part of the team, too. And everyone that's listening is part of the team. I really appreciate that. But there's special team members that I think are crucial, and those are our kitchen table partners. They're the people who give monthly to Open Line so we can be on the air answering people's questions weekly. It's it's just a, a, such a, a – I'm so grateful to them, I guess I would say, uh, for that. And one of the things that we want to do to say thank you is we send you a Bible study moment every other week if you're a kitchen table partner. That Bible study moment is a brief Bible study, audio Bible study that I've prepared especially for our kitchen table partners. And then they get it in the email, they click on it, and they get to hear it for a few minutes. And so glad we get some great feedback about that. I appreciate it so much. Uh, 
if you'd like to consider becoming a Kitchen Table Partner, becoming a part of the team, I sure would appreciate it uh, if you do. By the way, if you, <laughs> I, have, I was told I have to remind you of this. If you commit to $30 a month or more, 50% off on the Moody Publishers catalog. Uh, that's a great deal, I think. So uh, that might be something you might want to do. Uh, if you'd like to become a Kitchen Table Partner, call 888-644-7122. That's 888-644-7122. Or just sign up online at openlineradio.org. All right. Our next question is from Andrew in Minnesota, listens to KTIS. Why did God choose the Jewish people as his chosen people? Weren't there other nations around at the same time? Yeah. You know, uh, it seems like one of the problems that the other nations had is that they were running away from God. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you just look at it. When does the choice of Israel actually begin? It begins with Abraham. And what do you have? That's in chapter 12 Genesis of Genesis. 12. Mm-hmm. And in chapter 11, what you have are the nations refusing to obey God and and spread across the earth. So they go to the plain of Shinar, which is in Babylon, the great rebellious city. That's the beginning of it. They build the city of Babylon with its tower, and they are saying, we're just not going to listen to God about spreading over the earth. So what does he do? He confuses their language, sends them all out. That's Babylon. And then in Genesis 12, what happens with Moses, with Abraham? He he calls him out of Ur of the Chaldees, which is in Babylonia, and brings him to the land of Israel, Zion, and says, this is the nation I'm going to build from. And then Isaac and Jacob, and that's where the Jewish people come from. So what he was trying to do was choose one nation that was not going to shake their fist at God. And instead, now, unfortunately, we, uh, we Jewish people, we recognize we haven't done a great job. But the, the ideal was to take the, the light of God and bring it to the nations through the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but in uh, I, I, there's a it, there's a great verse I think that tells us why God chose the Jewish people. Yeah, it's in Deuteronomy. It's in verse seven. It says, "The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than all the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept His oath which He swore to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob." The Lord brought you out and and delivered you. The Lord your God, he is God, faithful to his covenant. So why did he choose the Jewish people? Not because they were more or because better. they were better. It was because he loved them. It yeah. was his sovereign choice. What verses were those, Eva? Uh-huh, Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8. Okay. So Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8, that's uh, God's call of Israel after Egypt and his special. He's, he's reviewing. He's reviewing. He's reviewing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that's that's it. Uh, it's it's here's what it is. God's sovereign choice. God's grace. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing. Still kind of the same now when yeah. he chooses those to follow him. Yeah. When if if you become a believer, you know, we're saying, oh, whosoever will may come, and we look at the. That sign over the the door that says that we enter the door and it look you look back at the door and it says chosen before the foundation of the world for salvation and so those of us who know the Lord whether Jewish or Gentile if we've been chosen for salvation we think we made the choice till we're in then we know it was God who made the choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do does that mean Adam and Eve were not Jewish? Not That's Jewish. Not no. Jewish. So Noah. Abraham was the first Jewish person. Yeah. Not right. Noah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. 
Yeah. You know, you just assume as a, things. As a like, kid, a as a kid going to Sunday school, you think everybody was Jewish. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. If I they're know. in the Bible, they were yeah. Jewish, yeah. Right. right? In the Old Testament, Adam That's and right. Eve, not That's Jewish. No, no, not Jewish. Not Jewish. You know, uh, the, Mel Brooks, the comedian, used to do the two thousand year old man, and he would talk about being around with Noah. Mm-hmm. You know, and he'd use, and he would talk with Noah. He'd use a Yiddish accent. Probably not no. accurate. Probably <laughs> yeah. not accurate. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you for that question, Andrew. Um, Francis wrote us on Facebook and wants to know when the Israelites were crossing the desert during the Exodus, were the Israelites covered by the cloud of God's presence? I think she must be concerned about sunburn. (laughs) Why? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's hot walking in the desert. Maybe they should have the cloud of God's presence over them. But I think maybe she's thinking about something else. What do you think, Michael? Exodus 14. Thir- 13, 21. 13, 21, I'm to sorry. 22, yeah. Okay. Exodus 13 and 14, both yeah, of you talk right, about right. it. Uh, the, uh, the, the point of it is that uh, it says, they set out from Sukkot and camped at uh, Etam on the edge of the wilderness. Now, verse 21, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so they could travel day or night, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. So there wasn't a cloud cover. It was a cloud that led them. Okay. Not not, not, not covering them. Okay, so if the fire is, um, is giving them light, from what I understand, there were lots and lots of people. So is this fire really big? Is it really high in the sky? Or is it really only giving light to those front ones who are f- and the rest are just following in the dark? Do you know? I mean, I realize we don't know, but I, I, I'm trying I, I to think, picture. I think like, it, was a, it, was a, it was a sign in the sky. It was a pillar of fire. And, and you could see it, you know, I, there. I, okay. I kind of picture it like lightning. Yeah. You have a big group of people. Everybody can see the lightning. Yeah. 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 Okay. Or, or like fireworks at a great big event. Yeah. yeah, you can all see the fireworks. Okay, it's kind of like that. And the point was, it was to show them which way they were. I think it was to show them which way they were supposed to go, not to prevent them from falling over rocks and stones on the path. Right, right. It's more you are going the right direction. Yeah, yeah. follow me. Right, yeah. and I'm going to lead you where you need to go. Exactly. Yeah. And okay. The same thing with the cloud. Same with, same the, with cloud, the cloud. That yeah. they would have all been able to see that they weren't just following the person wandering and following the person in front of them, but they also could see, oh, yeah, we're all going the right direction. Yeah, which uh, it really does negate the old uh, joke that we make about Moses not willing to being willing to ask for direction, so we ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. No, we knew where to go. It's just that our disobedience kept us from from entering. Right. Uh, And so, but they when they wandered, they were wandering with God's direction. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we'll uh, take more of the questions that you've sent in. My name is Michael Rydelnik. That was Eva Rydelnik also and Trisha McMillan. And it's an all-mailbag, all-the-time program, so don't call. We're going to answer the questions you've sent us and hopefully turn you right back to the Scriptures to see where the answers are coming from. This is Open Eye. We'll be right back. Don't go away. For some people, reading the Bible may feel scary. Where do I start? How will I ever get anything out of it? Living by the book will help you. 
It's a user-friendly guide that will teach you how to read God's Word with understanding from Genesis to Revelation. Give a gift today, and we'll be happy to send you a copy. Call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. Welcome back to our All Mailbag All the Time program. We're clearing the spindle, emptying the inbox. What other metaphor can I come up with? But that's, uh, that's what we're doing. You sent on all these questions. We're answering them. Trisha McMillan's with me. Eva Rydelnik's with me. We're doing our best. Trisha, let's, let's go right back to questions. All right. Next question is from Tim on Facebook. How should YHWH be pronounced? Is it Jehovah or Yahweh or something else? It's not supposed to be pronounced. It's the unpronounceable <laughs> name of God, according to Jewish tradition. And that's why when those Hebrew letters, yud heh vav were found, or Y-H. Y-H-W-H. Yeah. Say found, it again. Yud-Heh-Vav-Heh. Okay. Uh, when they're in Scripture, at the youngest age, I was taught to say Adonai, which means Lord. Mm. So when you see that, you just say Adonai, which is... And then, and then when you're reading Hebrew, unless you mean it, if you're just practicing when you see the word Adonai, or Yud-Heh-Vav-Heh, uh, you're you're just working on something, but you're not actually praying. Then you're supposed to say uh, something like Hashem, which and just means the name. The name. That's that's what you're supposed to do. Oh. Uh, and uh, now here's the thing: uh, the the unpronounceable name of God, Yudhei Vavhei. Many scholars today say it's pronounced Yahweh. And, but we're not sure because that presumes the vowels we're putting in, mm-hmm. and also the the word the the w, that's actually just a transliteration of the Hebrew vav, which is really pronounced like a v, not a w. So maybe it would be Yahweh, but we're not sure. And uh, I guess I I just like it that in most Bibles it has the Lord with. Uh, Caps, small caps. Okay. When you see yud yeah. vav Okay. Like, like, or like, you know, like all caps, L-O-R-D, that can, you know, capitalize. Yes. Yeah. They have L and then O-R-D in small caps in most Bibles. Yeah. Okay. So so when we were talking about the Exodus um, in the last segment, um, just flipping through these um, pages of Exodus, it has Yahweh in various places all over, mm-hmm. but also that's because so, you're looking at HCSB Bible. I am, I am, but it also has Lord with the capitals. Yeah, in the yeah. same section. So which of those not, is the not so consistent? Which is the uh, is it both any <laughs> let, use of uh, either? Let me just say this: would be the, the only <laughs> one that does it is the HCSB. Oh, okay, and that happened to be the one I brought today. <laughs> and the CSB also okay uh, doesn't do it as much when they revise it. And it's actually one of the things I was on the translation team and my friend and former professor and, I mean, very close friend, uh, Edwin Bloom was the general editor Uh of that translation. And he really wanted to make it all Yahweh, wherever it was. And there was some pushback, so it's mixed. And it was very inconsistent. Sometimes it was, if it talked about the name of God, it used Yahweh. Okay. Uh, I'm telling you, I I laughed with him quite a bit about saying, (laughs) I really disagree with this. I wanted it to be uh, he says, oh, well, that's because you're Jewish, and that's how you were raised. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but that's how Bibles have been done. It helps people understand. So if it says Yahweh, or if it says L-O-R-D with the capitals, the small caps, yeah, they are both 
um, translating the same yep. letters, and, yeah. the four letters. And a few places in the Bible, it'll have it'll say the Lord, which is actually the word Adonai, God, you know, where it says the Lord God. And what that is, the Lord Yahweh. And so God is pronounced, is written G, small caps O-D. Oh, Okay. And you might have an older translation that would then use the word Jehovah. Yeah. Okay. Where, where the word. So any of, those, any of those that we see would be in place of the four letters. Yeah. Right. The Y H W H. Okay. It's right. it's called the Tetragrammaton. If you want to be. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> it always makes me think of when I was in seminary. There was a friend of ours, Bob Hicks, who one day I heard him walking down the hallway singing every day with the Tetragrammaton. Sweeter than the and it, I just, it's just so funny. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> in the hymn, yeah. that's right. Makes that's right. And there is no J in Hebrew, so that so that Jehovah would, would not be. It would have to be a Y. Okay, uh-huh. so be Yehovah. Yeah, okay. Yehovah. Mm-hmm. Okay, these are all those translation things that we don't know, and we just see them in our Bible and say, "What is that?" Yeah. But I will say, as a little Bible study tip, usually this might be true. I think across the board, but. Mm, um, at the beginning of the Bible, in those notes, at the very beginning, it explains. Yes, exactly. We have translated this this way, and right. this is what it means. And so mm-hmm. often you will find those notes in the very beginning if that, there are any that of those. That no one reads. Trans- yeah. I, I, <laughs> I have. Know. But most people don't read those. <laughs> I'm also the one who read a dictionary as a child. I thought yeah. that was fun. <laughs> I did too. I did too, Tricia. We're twins. Yes, yes. Okay, well, thank you for that. Yeah thorough explanation that went beyond. Um, so hopefully, Tim, you did say, can you dive into this? And we definitely did. So hopefully okay. that answers your question. Um, next question is from Jeannie on Facebook. She is looking at a couple of Psalms um, where David makes reference to the Lord's house or the temple, but it wasn't built until after David died. So what is he referring to? The specific ones she mentions are Psalm 5-7, where it says, but I enter your house by the abundance of your faithful love. I bow down toward your holy temple in reverential awe of you. And Psalm 23, 6 references, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So what is he referring to? Yeah, no, I believe it or not, I recently was reading, I think, Psalm 30. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a Psalm of David. Let's see if I can find it just so I can. This is not so unusual. Uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, Psalm 30, I'm turning pages, turning pages, here we go. It's uh, a psalm, a dedication song for the house. Mm-hmm. Is that referring to the that's house the, of that's the Lord? The yeah. And then yeah. it says uh-huh. Davidic, or mm-hmm. of David. Okay. And so what house is he talking about? There's three possibilities. One, he's talking about the tabernacle. Two, he's speaking as a prophet that there will be a temple or something that he anticipates his son Solomon to build. and Or the third possibility, and this is something that we have to understand, how do we get the book of Psalms? It's not like, very often when people think of how the book of Psalms came to be, it's sort of like when I was in uh, high school, came to faith, had a Bible study in my home, and we all thought we were songwriters. We went through the Psalms and everyone had our guitars, <laughs> and, and we all made up some tunes. Yeah, yeah, made up some tunes. You know, blessed be the Lord God and all this. And uh, what we would do is we would then, uh, what was that blue stuff called again? Uh, we mimeograph. Mimeograph them, 
and we put them in these little binders we had and just add them. We would add the songs every week into it. And like it was just as they were written, they were put in there. Okay. That's not how the Psalms came to be. Uh, for example, we have Psalms by Moses, mm-hmm. Psalm 90, right? Mm-hmm. We have Psalms by Solomon, mm-hmm. uh, Psalm 72. They're not in chronological order. Uh, no. Uh, they're, they're actually five books, within five volumes within the Psalms to match the five volumes of the Torah. Uh, the, there was an editor, and now we know that the it was put together, not gradually or chronologically, but they were it was edited and put together into a final book after Israel's exile. The exile takes place in 586 B.C., and this is post-exilic. How do we know? One of the psalms, well, first of all, you've got exilic psalms, like Psalm 137 about, by the waters of Babylon, there we lay down and wept for thee, Zion, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously that's a psalm that was written in, uh, in Babylon. And then you have Psalm 126, when the Lord brought back the captive ones to Zion, we were like those who dreamed, right? So it's, it's the return from captivity, what does this tell us? That the Psalms as a book, although David wrote 73 of them, it's Mark, the Psalms as a book is a book that was put together. It was like a hymn book put together after the exile. Why is this important? The editor of the Psalms will frequently have little uh, adaptations, uh, things, editorial comments, uh, someone might call it a gloss, uh, whoever that biblical writer was after the exile who was putting the whole book of Psalms together, he's putting some things in. And so like in Psalm 30, the one I just mentioned, uh, he says, oh, this is the psalm that was read. David wrote it, but it was read when they dedicated the temple. And so he puts that there in the superscript. Sometimes even in the text, biblical explanations are like that. Okay, so, so the house of the Lord was a was a the editor pointing toward... Could be. Possibly. In some cases, sometimes it's David. Okay. So mm-hmm. talking about the tabernacle. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. could there be you tabernacle. Go. All right. Well, well that's you. that's the first hour. I can't believe how fast it went. We're gonna come back with a, another hour of all questions all the time, all mailbag. We're gonna come right back. Check out our mail our website during the break, uh, openlineradio.org. We're gonna be right back. Keep Keep your Bible open because we're going to study it. Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydonik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Mm-hmm. 